Hello there, and thank you for downloading this Starting Up podcast from the 1st of November. And this week, I was joined in the studio by Damien Brennan, who's the head of marketing for VirtuZone, as we focused on teen business owners, including one 14-year-old who's just launched his own sneaker company. Harry Tompkinson started VIP Sneakers, which is an online trainer's shop in December last year. And he's now offering other teens work experience. We also spoke to a young man who decided to launch his events startup during the pandemic, aged 19. James Elliott's now in his early 20s and the CEO of his own company, Noise Entertainment. Plus, our starting up success story this week is also someone who started hustling at a young age, at 16, no less. We spoke to Simon Johnson, the CEO of Aesthetic Strength, who offer online fitness coaching. And Damien from VirtuZone had plenty of marketing advice in our company clinic. Lots of people got in touch with their questions. That's only on the agenda from 10am. You're listening to Starting Up on the Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. With VirtuZone, business set up with no regrets. Hello there. Welcome back. Welcome to the agenda and welcome to our weekly episode of Starting Up. It is your go-to show for nascent business owners and prospective entrepreneurs. And we are here to inspire you to start your own side hustle or maybe even quit your job to go it alone. And joining me in the studio to take us on that journey uh, is Damien Brennan. He is head of marketing for VirtuZone. Damien, I think this is the first time you've joined me on air. Hello. Hi, Georgia. Yes, it is indeed. Thank you very much for the well, Warm welcome. Pleasure to have you with us. Normally we get either George Hajage or we get Neil Petch, but both of them out of the country or out of wellness at the moment. So, yeah, you know, that's, uh, so that's, that's, that's Dubai at the moment, isn't it? It is Dubai at the moment. There's a lot going on. And as a consequence, there is a lot of bugs making the rounds as well. Certainly in the schools, I have, I have borne witness to that myself. But it is fantastic to have you in the studio to join me to, to open up the sort of questioning. And our focus this week is on people who are in something of a hurry. A hurry, that is, to get into the world of business and start earning money. Some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs started in their teens. Just think of Mark Zuckerberg, Michael Dell, the founder of Dell Inc. They both started their businesses in their college dorm rooms at 19 years old. Meanwhile, Fred DeLuca, do you know who he is? I didn't until I looked it up, I have to admit, opened the first Subway restaurant at 17 years old. There are now 40,000 subways around the world. And that's actually gone down since the pandemic. You know, pre-pandemic, there were more. Well, this morning, we have a 14-year-old in the studio. And he is already the owner of his own company, and looking to offer teens work experience. Harry Tomkinson launched VIP Sneakers. They're an online trainer's shop in December last year. And he is here in the studio to talk us through his story alongside his dad, Stephen Tomkinson, as well. Harry, hello, good morning. How are you? Uh, thank you so much for having me this morning. Um, I am great. Fantastic to have you with us. Uh, I mean, and also, for, hello, Stephen, Dad, lovely to have you with us as well. <laughs> Thank you, Georgia. Thank you. It's brilliant to have everyone in the studio. Obviously, Harry, are you skipping school right now? Uh, uh, yes, <laughs> uh, kind of a bonus, let's say. Yeah, no, don't worry, no one's going to notice. You're just on the radio <laughs> speaking to the entire nation. Now, let's start. Uh, I know that uh, I, I know that Damien's got lots of questions as well, but let's start with the obvious one. How did you come up with the idea of starting your own business? So I'll start off with my entrepreneurial, uh, entrepreneurial adventure. So back in COVID, when I had just turned 13, uh, 12 year old, 12 year olds weren't able to leave their homes. Uh, this was in Abu Dhabi also, so before we moved here. 
Um, I went to car four and decided to buy all of the sweets I possibly could. And I thought, because no 12-year-olds could leave their homes, I could sell them for double the price. So what I then did is I opened up a little pop-up stand. So I got a little table. I got my own pocket money to go buy that. And then with all the sweets I sold, at the end of the month, I came out with a 1,000 dirhams profit from just selling sweets in a month every day after school. That's astonishing. Yeah. So you sold them after school. People were allowed to go to school, but they weren't allowed to go to the malls. So they couldn't go and buy their own sweets. They had to buy them from you, effectively. Well, for all the kids out there, at the moment, it was all online. So it wasn't even in school. So it was all on laptops. So I kind of went out the most popular, like the most homes there were outside, right in the middle. And they'd all just come to me and I'd sell everything in less than an hour. That's absolutely brilliant. So that gave you a sort of sense of commerce, a sort of sense. Of, <laughs> uh, Damon's laughing here because you could already see uh, a, a sort of commercial brain in the makings. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so how did you then move from this sweets idea to VIP sneakers? Uh, so from the sweets, I then had, let's say, the most amount of money I ever had. So I had about 1,500 dirhams. And with that, I saw, I found an article online because at that point I wasn't doing sports because I loved doing sports and activities outside of school. But because um, I wasn't able to do sports because of COVID because they all shut down, I decided to go into how to make money. So I was all going through these, like the national news, the Dubai Eye, and just searching, like trying to find what people have done. And I found an article about uh, someone who made 600,000 dirhams in sales. Uh, I sadly can't remember where that's from, but that really did inspire me. So I did a bunch of research on it, and I, and I went and bought four sneakers of my own. Uh, for, for what I bought then, they were all right, but considering it's not about what I like, it's what the c- customer likes. So I bought four. I was able to sell them, and lucky with my parents' support, because at the moment I only had a small amount, and for each sneaker is up to uh, anywhere between 500 and 1,000 dirhams. So... I was able to buy one, sold it, then I got up to four. And then I got up to 40. And now we're hitting, for, with VIP sneakers at the moment, past 500 sneakers that we have in stock. Absolutely extraordinary that you go about it in this way and that you've gradually built it up. I, I mean, Damien, go ahead. Sorry, yeah, I'm interrupting. Yeah, no, it, it's funny because um, I see a lot of myself in, in that story. I remember when I was a similar age, flipping phones, Nokia phones at school, you know. But back in there, it wasn't a, an online shop. It was the guy with the jacket and you're, you're you know, showing the phones <laughs> off to them like something out of a movie. Um, and it's really cool to see what... Um, access to these online tools has has given. Um, but what I'm really curious about is what was it like when you were going to go and pitch your parents on the idea? Oh, this 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 was the struggle. So uh, what I did personally is I used a PowerPoint. So I decided to use a PowerPoint. I wrote down multiple slides. So I got about six slides. Uh, each slide was talking about the first three was talking about how, how I've already had experience with a sweet shop. And then I was talking about how maybe they could buy me a couple of shoes, which I could then repay them back. And uh, I'd use the profit to reinvest into my business. At that time, I wouldn't have thought anything of what it has become today. I would have thought it's just flipping sneakers to friends as it's now become a full business online e-commerce Okay, so this is amazing. How, first of all, how did you how do you choose which sneakers to sell? You you touched on it just then, suggesting that you can't just choose the ones you like. You need to choose the most popular ones. And and also, next question: Why do people not just buy them themselves from the shops? Uh, so first point: uh, 
colorways. So depending on what the shoes look like, let's say Jordan, for example, Jordan is a night collaboration between Michael Jordan back in the 1985s. Uh, the Jordan has many colors for reds, blacks, orange, and those are the, kind of the main colors and whites. As red and black is the bulls, and orange is just also, there's oranges have had very rare colors, uh, like very old releases have been in orange and red and blue. Uh, these shoes have now gone up to tens of thousands of dirhams at this point, just by how old they are. And uh, just depending on how, what they look like is mainly popularity. And for the releases, uh, as it's now become so popular, it is so hard to get your hand on a pair. So recently, uh, the Travis Scotts were just released, the Jordan 1, though, reverse. Uh, this shoe's beautiful, in my opinion. Luckily, we were able to get a few <laughs> on our hands. We got up to, like, five, six pairs of them, but we are able to get more. Um, How? They... How can you get more? I'm intrigued. How are you getting <laughs> no. your hands on these exclusive trainers? So because they sell out straight away in every single store there is, uh, we are able to, we, well, because we're from the UK, uh, I've had friends who live there and I've got contacts with them who are, where there's loads of them. So it's like a massive group of them where we all have contacts with each other and they're able to get them for me and they can bring them over. And then we get them all over the world. So Europe, America, like all just different countries depending on you know, if you're lucky, especially for shipping fees, it's it's just it's, it's annoying getting them in. But because of how limited they are, it's basically you need to, you know, open a door and find it. You have to look in certain places because it's just really hard to get them. Amazing to hear about how, how you've structured it and how you've learnt the intricacies of, of the business yeah. there. Uh, I mean, so Stephen's dad, uh, sorry, Stephen, Tom, Harry's dad, how are you doing? Lovely to have you in here. Uh, the PowerPoint presentation, that moment was, it was clearly key. Uh, I mean, extraordinary that Harry's got this business acumen from such a young age. Is that something you've supported? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, uh, when he presented his, uh, his small proposal, um, kind of prior to that, um, even when he had his sweet shop business, he, he was asking questions of, you know, Dad, what's the difference between profit and sales and revenue? And uh, and I explained to him and we created a little ledger and, and just by him being intrigued and curious uh, that he kind of uh, started to kind of get a grasp on business. Um, but when he presented the, the proposal, um, his mum and I were, were really keen to support him mainly because he he wanted as, as a result of his sweet shop he wanted to study GCSE business studies and media studies, and we thought well why not create a small business platform for him to test out the academia and the theory actually in real life, so that was the plan, and for a few months yeah, that's what we did, and then things just snowballed from there. I mean. You can see uh, uh, that clearly uh, Harry's got an extraordinary mind uh, for business. Uh, Damien, go ahead. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, I actually was um, wondering a couple of things is how do you actually reach people and, and let them know about your shoes? You know, I'm coming from the marketing side, right? So I'm genuinely curious <laughs> how you're actually getting these things out. And then, and then how is it actually going? I know you mentioned Snowball, but, you know, what's the sort of velocity and what's coming up, you know? 
so when we first started, it was uh, 10 followers of just on my Instagram of just my friends and all that. But um, through time, we've been learning a lot more about the social media because depending on what industry you're going into, so fashion, electronics, it's all different completely. So how you approach your customers. Um, what we've done for VIP sneakers is because we're online, uh, especially as, as there's so many fakes out there. Being in person is always great. So what we decided to do is make an in-person sneaker event. And as there's no sneaker events in Dubai, we thought this would be a great a great opportunity for us. So we uh, went to Rose's Specialty Coffee House and we uh, they allowed us to come along and make a sneaker event there. Uh, this was, when was it, a couple of months? September. Oh. Uh, and uh, in September, we then opened it up. We uh, had challenges around the room and we gave away about 10 shoes throughout the entire day. Uh, and also then is when I came up with the Kickstart initiative. So before the event, uh, the Kickstart initiative is where I decided to come up with, because the government uh, allowed part-time part working for 15 to 17 year olds. So we decided to make, well, I decided to make the uh, initiative for 15 to 17 year olds where I allow them to come along, work with VIP sneakers and do part, paid part-time working. <laughs> cool. Uh, and at this event, let's lead back to the event uh, in Rosa's Specialty Coffee House, uh, we expected to get about 150 to 200 people. At the end of the day, we were hitting 350 to nearly 400 people on that first day. And we had about 300, 400 followers. And most of them, not all, most of them were in the UK. So considering that it just kind of spread it by word, especially like at school, it spread it. And after that, we gained, we got to 1,500 followers from that event. That is absolutely strong. You get a sense of this untapped market that you have just managed to totally tap into. Yeah. Uh, Harry, I have to say, I'm so impressed. Amazing to speak to you. Thank you so much for joining us in the studio. Harry Tompkinson there, the 14-year-old CEO of VIP Sneakers, an online trainer's shop, inspiring all of us to do more, frankly, uh, to get that side hustle going. This is Starting Up on the Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Virtuzone, business setup with no regrets. Hello there. Welcome back to the programme. It is 11.22. You are listening to The Agenda and our weekly episode of Starting Up. And joining me in the studio today from Virtue Zone is Damien Brennan, Head of Marketing. Hello there, sir. How are you? I am fantastic. Thanks, Georgia. It's lovely. Good. It's (laughs) lovely to have you with us because this week we are focusing on entrepreneurs and we're joined in the studio by someone who started hustling at a very young age. He left university early in order to set up an event company in Dubai, but in the middle of a pandemic. Intriguing decision, one might argue. Uh, welcome to James Elliott, the CEO of Noise Entertainment and Love Parties Group. So how are you? Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. Okay, leaving university was a bold decision. Yeah. Why, think... <laughs> why were you in such a hurry to get started on your career? Um, do you know what it is? It's, you know, doing events and everything there at, in uni at the same time I was doing my degree just found that you can actually monetize the events game out here more than you would over there. So I decided to basically just leave my role in university because most of the things I was learning in media and social media are already things that I was self-taught. So I just came over to Dubai and decided, you know what, this is the perfect time, perfect opportunity during the pandemic to kind of go against the competitors where it's kind of starting off fresh. So 
yeah, came over during the pandemic and done it then. Damien, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so how does it all work? Like, what's the what's the business model now that you guys uh, work with? So, what we do is we find a venue and we set up an event, create a brand. It's more like a marketing scheme. What we do, so we'll come in, create a brand name, um, and then host an event, and then just basically market off social media. You get girls promoting, loads of local people from different venues as well. It must be quite tricky in this market. Oddly enough, I had a great friend, a, a guy called Nick House, who did more or less the same thing that you're doing in London about 25 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and he, oddly enough, it basically totally spun off social media. Yeah. Uh, and he'd get key, almost what we would call now influencers, but at the time were just outgoing people, <laughs> to make sure that they would always bring all their mates down to a club and they would get a tenner. Uh, which for, is like 50, for, 50 dirhams yeah. or something for each person. So is that how your model works here? I mean, we started off, well, depends on the event. So when you start off doing an event, you kind of want to get that outreach where you invite influencers and whatnot to come try the event and see whether or not they like it and give it a rating and whatnot. But now it's kind of turned into, instead of using influencers, we just like to grasp on the normal groups of people out here. So like British expats Dubai and, you know, your local football teams or local quiz teams. And you just ask them to come down to the events and it kind of just fills itself Good news. I mean, I, it's intriguing to see how it how it's sort of all panning out. Yeah. And, and how do you balance the different types of people that come to these events? Do you like focus on different areas or like how does that work? I mean, we do events in different parts of Dubai. So we're doing an event on the Palm and we're doing one downtown and we're also doing one in JLT. Um, but And they're all weekly. But you'll always get a different crowd for every event. Because on a Sunday, let's say when we do a pool party at the W, um, you really are getting mostly tourists and whatnot. Whereas if you're going on a downtown buzz, loads of people are coming from the real estate industry and you know finance industry, and that's where they come to just get loose, I'd say. <laughs> Whereas the Fridays are more teachers and cabin crew. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and, and, and like, how many people are you getting at these at these events? Um, or is it range? Well, obviously, you have a certain capacity of people that you can get on to the event. So. Yeah. With our Friday events, we can cap it around 250 people. But then our Saturday events, we can get like a good 500 people in there. So essentially, the clubs hire you to fill their clubs. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> and, and how nice. did you, it's brilliant. And how did you get a relationship with those clubs? Because it's a real leap of faith for them. You know, you're an unknown, you're super, well, at first you were an unknown. Yeah. You're super young and, and you know, you're just, you're just pitching yourself, basically. Well, well, yeah, basically, yeah. So Instagram's really helped me do that a lot. So with me just basically trying to put out there that I'm living this mad lifestyle of going out every night, mm. you know, um, and see, being with loads of different people, that's where loads of venues start to think, okay, I feel like this guy here can actually just bring a crowd in. That's why I'm always surrounded by different people and different uh, places every day using my Instagram stories. And it um, just goes from there, really. That's where people contact and say, hey, fancy coming down and start an event? Just go, yeah, sound. Can I ask you, <laughs> does it basically come down to people looking attractive do they like when they when you're invite when you when you're bringing a crowd down do they just is it mostly based on looks like do you get into touch with the model agencies and things like that i'd say it depends on the venues it really does i'd say your high-end very top luxury clubs in dubai you really do need attractive faces whereas you know your local venues wouldn't really bother that much they just provide well they consume on volume on amounts of people whereas the other ones would really need like a high look <laughs> do you get any money for drink spend or is, is it just on bums on seats what we do is we go commission tiers 
So for let's say what the venue makes, I would take 15% to 25% to 35% of what the venue would make on gross revenue. However, I'll get paid out on net. So let's say a normal venue would make 50,000 dirham a night. I'd come in there, bring some spenders and hopefully get them to about 180, 200,000 and then take a commission rate from that. So I'd take 25%. So, Damien, I don't know about you, but all of a sudden you just jumped in that sentence from a party boy who just brings lots of cool people to a party (laughs) to like a full on businessman. Like that was like full on figures. How did you uh, like you're straight out of uni or well, skipped uni, essentially. How did you learn about how to structure those types of deals? Well, I do have a business partner that's involved with me, um, Ben Thompson, and he runs a finance company himself. Um, and he's basically the kind of guy who approached me and said, you know what, let's partner up together and do something from there. And I went, okay, you do the finance a bit and I'll just be the front of the face and go out there and meet all the people, whereas he stays home and, you know, handles all the finance. But from there, we just, I've just learned you can basically make a lot of money off not bringing people, but spend it. So let's say last Saturday, I sold a table anyway for 20000 on a minimum spend. Hmm. However, they ended up spending way more. And there was just about nine lads going into a high-end club, spent 29,000 dirhams, and I'd take 15% of that. Wow. Wow. And I suppose naturally the club didn't necessarily want those nine lads on their own on a table. No, they would ask for a bit of, you know, You you like a mix. You normally want a mix, yeah. Yeah, but when you're spending, I mean, 20,000 dirhams as a minimum, it's not really a chance for them to say goodbye or no, so... And, and what's sort of like the next stage or the next growth steps for, for something like this? Um, well, we're looking at doing festivals now yeah. in Dubai. Obviously, now that things have calmed down and there's a lot of big plans, obviously, with the World Cup coming and, you know, you have your fan zones and your unofficial fan zones and we're kind of looking into the music side of things where we can get artists and book them. Um, we have a brand called Unity and that's where we're just trying to get all the local DJs and then put one headliner on and we're hopefully capping at that 5,000, 6,000 people. Absolutely amazing to hear how uh, that business has grown, and 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 honestly, that that sort of contrast between I just like to go out and party and and have a have a fun <laughs> lifestyle to the yeah, but I make fifteen percent on that table there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, really interesting. Oddly enough, I, this this friend of mine who used to work in it, we used to go out for a night out in our early twenties, and he'd be looking round at the tables, working out how much each table was making, and therefore, you know, he never really had a night out. He was yeah. always he was always working. See, when I first started, I was like that as well. Oh, I wasn't like that. I just yeah. go in and say oh my god this is such a great time and this and that but now you kind of walk into a venue any venue and you just look at the amount of people in there and you just go okay that's add up that's that this venue's making that much now absolutely brilliant (laughs) well i have to say good on you james Uh, amazing to hear about how you started your business at such a young age and and it's making real progress Uh, james elliott there the ceo of noise entertainment and love parties group thanks for your time thank you for having me great to have you This is Starting Up on the Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. With VirtuZone, business set up with no regrets. Right, welcome back to the programme, 11.38. You are listening to The Agenda. You're listening to our weekly episode of Starting Up and joining me in the studio to help us on the journey is Damien Brennan, the Head of Marketing for VirtuZone. How are you enjoying it, Damien? It's your first time, isn't it? Yeah, it it is. It's uh, it's great, like uh, any first time. Yeah, I have to say, it's a cracking show. It moves along very quickly. We have guests, and not least this week, because we are focusing on entrepreneurs who started hustling at a very young age. And I'm joined now uh, in the studio 
studio by Simon Johnson. He is the CEO of Aesthetic Strength. Now, he is this week's special starting up success story. We do the the, the same slot each week. And we take we find an entrepreneur who's basically made it, who can give us advice. And, and this time it is indeed Simon who's joined us in the studio. Aesthetic Strength offers online fitness coaching. Simon, lovely to have you in the studio. How are you? Amazing. Honestly, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Now, uh, tell me, the focus this week is these these teen entrepreneurs. How early did you start uh, in in business? So originally it was uh, back when I was 16 years old. That was more in-person, personal training. And then over the last kind of four years, everything's transitioned online since the pandemic. Um, but yeah, 16 years old. Thrown, wow. Thrown into things. And how did it? And so when you first started at 16, you were focused on just individual PT training, essentially. I mean, have you always been interested in fitness to be already training people at that age? You know, that's quite a one to one relationship. Yeah, massively. So honestly, health and fitness has probably been the, the one of the longest standing things in my whole life ever since the age of five, I remember playing tennis, rugby, football, every sport you could ever imagine. Um, and I've got my mum to thank for this. She always told me, Simon, you can do anything um, as long as you put your mind to it and you just do the work and surround yourself with the right people. And I was lucky enough to be surrounded by amazing coaches, amazing mentors, and I saw what they gave me and I wanted to be able to give that back to other people. And the plan was to play professional tennis, wasn't good enough. Then it was play professional rugby, wasn't good enough. And plan C was always... Be a personal trainer and at the age of 16 um, I'd always been training with my strength and conditioning coaches and things like that I was always helping out coaching some of the younger kids coming through like I was when I was 10 11 12 and they just gave me an opportunity to go and do a personal training course I was the youngest person to ever qualify in the UK doing that specific course um, came home uh, originally I was going to go work in a gym and then they convinced me on the course of like why don't you start your own business and I was like me start my own business at 16 like you must be crazy. Um, and then literally a shed in my mum and dad's garden. And yeah, it went from there. Absolutely amazing to hear about your your journey there. Uh, Damien, you've got lots of questions, haven't you? Yeah. So, um, I mean, from that point and then coming over to, I mean, I assume coming over to Dubai from, from there, um, what's it sort of grown into and evolved into now? You mentioned something about online. So I'm very curious about that. Yeah. So obviously my game plan was always to transition from in-person PT to online. Uh, I loved in person, but I wanted to be able to help and impact people more like all around the world, which I just couldn't do from Jersey, a nine by five island in my mom and dad's garden. Okay. Um, so COVID came around. I'd had a couple of clients online, was just fine tuning systems and SOPs and things like that. Um, and then everything just went crazy. Um, COVID came around, couldn't do my in-person, couldn't run the group classes. I was doing a hundred PT sessions a week at the time. And uh, I had all these clients like, we need something. So I just ran free online classes for literally the whole of lockdown um, and just giving, 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 giving value. And it seems to have come back since then. And the transition online now, we're a team of five coaches. We've got another five background staff. So it's been a big learning curve to say the least over the last couple of years. Yeah. That is amazing to hear about how the pandemic actually helped you. Mm. Uh, interestingly, my boys learn football and the company that they do it with, Empire Sport, uh, also similarly, oddly, you know, had that real difficulty during the pandemic. They couldn't coach 
So they went online and they had kids all over Dubai watching them on Zoom. And literally their business has, as a consequence, gone from strength to strength because they offered those services for free. And as a consequence, you just got amazing loyalty because the children didn't have much else to do during lockdown. And if you made people feel part of a community at that stage, then then you can really make, make progress. Uh, plenty more questions to come. I mean, one of the hardest things is to scale up when you're a personal trainer. You mentioned there that you've now got five others on your team. How did you manage to keep the quality while expanding? It's very, very difficult. And uh, I've always said it, being too independent has always probably been one of my biggest weaknesses, not being able to ask for help. Um, so I actually hired my best mate originally because I was scared to let go of that control because this was my name, my business, and I didn't want that reputation to be ruined. And as hard as it's been, he's been incredible. Um, but I knew that he respected me and respected the business as much as I needed to. And very hard having friends in business as well. Um, but having him there and then I literally essentially mentor every single one of my coaches and they go through like a six month trial period where every week we review every single client. Um, then they take the next coach on, the next coach on, the next coach on. But there's been a lot of mess ups, a lot of slip ups, a lot of learning along the way. And if I was to do it again, I'm sure I would do it very, very differently. But that's all part of being an entrepreneur, I suppose. Yeah. Well, you know, like, I mean, um, the industry here is pretty is pretty nuts, right? Like, I mean, I, I've um, shared my fair of uh, training sessions with PTs and you go online and there's, there's tons of them. So what sort of sets this apart from what's kind of already being offered in the market here in Dubai? I don't or, want to get or globally. I mean, globally, you know, wherever think, you're targeting, you know. I think one of the biggest things that has helped us is transparency. Yeah. We don't try and give you smoke and mirrors will be 100% open, honest, and transparent with you from their get-go. And I always describe it like this. We have a skeleton that we know will get you not just results, but the results that will last you a lifetime. You'll know yourselves how many people have had PT sessions, gone to a coach, tried a program six, seven, eight, nine times, waste hour, hours, thousands, years um, going through these programs and don't have the results to show for it. I would say, I will guarantee you the results of a lifetime that last a lifetime. And we have a skeleton, and we call it the aesthetic strength roadmap that you go through. But we understand that you're an individual. So to flesh out that skeleton, that's us working as a team and find the systems that will work for you to be able to stay consistent. Yeah, actually, that's, that's a good question is like, how do you sort of convey that that's the journey that people are going to go on? You know, how do you get that word out there that that's, that's what it is? Yeah, that's the hard, that's the very hard thing. <laughs> and um, if you look at it from more from a marketing point of view, you have to kind of give people what they want so then you can show them what they need. Yeah. So we sell a transformation, but once they're in, they realize how much better they look, feel and perform, then they'll start to realize that this is something that can generally help them life, live life on their terms long term. Yeah, and I mean, for, for anyone else that's kind of aspiring to get into this, not necessarily a PT or whatever, but, but onto this entrepreneurial journey in Dubai, what sort of some little feedback points that you've experienced over the last couple of years yeah. that you'd give to them? I think, Fear of failure, fear of judgment are probably the two biggest things that will hold you back. The only person that will hold you back is you. Okay, you are your biggest bottleneck in anything you do. I remember posting for the first time on social media and getting so much stick from my mate. And uh, I was actually got told by a mentor of mine, he's like, if you want to do this, you have a duty, a role and a responsibility to post and to show people what you can do because you can generally help change someone's life. So if you can reframe it like that and think it's your duty, role and responsibility to be able to help people and you do that by just post on social media. I can hands down say for the last six years, I have posted on social media at least once a day, every single day. It might, just, it might just be a photo <laughs> of me on JBR or a photo of me somewhere, but turn up, just yeah. turn up. 
How did you, um, uh, I mean, how did you get past that sort of mental blockage there of not wanting, make, you know, worrying about making a twit of yourself ultimately? Is doing nothing an option? Well, no, exactly. It isn't. <laughs> this is very good. I also want to ask you, because as a PT, and I wonder whether sometimes people shy away from this slightly, because there's only so much you can do with exercise. Ultimately, people need to eat less mm -hmm. if they want to lose weight. How difficult is it to have that conversation with people? You know, if they're coming to you saying, well, look, we're just not getting the results. And you're like, yeah, well, that's because you're eating too much. Stop eating. Yeah. Well, one, <laughs> one, I would never tell people what to do. I think there's a big, uh, a big difference between what people actually think coaching is and coaching is. My role as a coach isn't to tell you what to do. It's to help you to come to the realization because you actually know what to do. I hear that a lot from coaches, actually. We've got, um, we had someone on the show last week, um, Peter Heredia, and he was talking about um, for his sales coaching, right, that, that the way he gets through to the sales teams is not to tell them what to do because they'll just fight him on it. He'll give them the material and lead them on the journey and then they'll discover that path and that's your job. You're like the shepherd <laughs> for, the, for, for these people. Yeah, I always describe it as uh, you're James Bond, I'm Q or M. It's genius. I love, I love that. Uh, okay, so it sounds like you've managed to build up a real community uh, around around your work. You're getting the results. Uh, what is next for you? What's the next step? Because I suppose that's another thing on the entrepreneurial journey. You know, once you've got past the self, you know, the, the, the bottleneck of yourself, you then need to know how to to, to strategize, to move up, to, to scale up. Yeah, 100%. I think uh, this is the bottleneck a lot of coaches, um, any entrepreneur in themselves will kind of the problems they'll run into is they start to realize that they can't be a one-man band anymore. You need team and you have to pull yourself out of things and realize that you can only do so much. I like to think I'm Superman sometimes, but hey, I'm not. Um, and it's actually being okay with delegating and becoming essentially a people manager. And that's the hard skills and the soft skills of that. Um, and I'm still learning. I'm still going to mess up. And uh, I'm excited for it because honestly, having my own business has been the single best self-development and anything out there there's been highs there's been lows and the highs get higher and the lows get lower but i wouldn't change any of it absolutely amazing to speak to you what an amazing inspiration for anyone out there thinking to set up their own uh, business uh, simon johnson it's been a pleasure thank you so much for joining us in the studio uh, simon johnson the ceo of aesthetic strength there they can check you out on instagram can't they yeah absolutely thanks so much for having me on and if you do want to check me out on instagram just simon johnson this is starting up on the agenda on dubai i 103.8 with virtue zone business setup with no regrets. Right then, welcome back to Starting Up. Georgia Tolly here, but I'm not on my own. I'm joined in the studio uh, by Damien Brennan. He's head of marketing for Virtue Zone. And for that reason, our company clinic this week is focusing on marketing questions. Thank you very much, Hamid, who's got in touch on saying, I'm a business owner. I've got a garden co gardening company. Do I have to be on social media? And if so, what channels should I be on? Mm. Ah, look, um, the short answer is you don't have to be, especially with this type of service-based business. Surprising well, answer. I know, yeah. right? I mean, everybody thinks they have to be on social because everybody else is on social. But um, for service-based businesses such as gardening, plumbing, uh, management services, consulting, whatever it happens to be, if you're offering a service... You only ask for it when it's needed as a customer. And so the first place that everybody goes to is Google. So the first place you want to look at is Google. You want to be on the local search. You want to have a Google My Business. You want to ha run um, SEO if you, if you can, writing your own articles if you can't afford more. And if you can afford more, then you want to get your Google ads up and running. After that, look at your social, take photos of your work, um, post about it, and then eventually that might be a channel that, that works for you as well. 
That's very interesting because I, like you said, I would have thought that social came first, but actually it's more the, the Google the Google presence. Uh, okay, uh, Jenny's got in touch saying from a personal branding point of view, should I be choosing LinkedIn or Instagram? Note, I have limited time. Look, this really comes down to your objective. You know, if you're wanting to build yourself up as a thought leader in a space, then you really want LinkedIn because that's where people that are looking for news and information and stats and figures are are tuning into. If you're building yourself up as a as a lifestyle personality, then Instagram, uh, TikTok, and and those sorts of channels, that's where you want to be at. That's interesting. So, if you were going to choose any between Instagram and TikTok nowadays. Would you choose it according to who your market is? So if you're going for a younger market, would you use TikTok or Instagram for an older market? Yeah, I mean, TikTok for the, for the younger market, but, you know, it's, it's evolving all the time. But for now, yeah, TikTok, younger market generally, and then Instagram for everybody else. Absolute pleasure having you in the studio. Great advice there, Damien Brennan. Thank you very much indeed. Not often you get free advice, but you can get it right here <laughs> on Dubai Eye 103.8. Uh, that was Damien Brennan, Head of Marketing for Virtue Zone. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode of Starting oh, Up. Very sad. So quick. I hope I get you back again, but that, that means I'm wishing for sickness in your company. So maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe I shouldn't. Uh, but it's been an absolute pleasure having you in the studio. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks so much, Georgia. It's been great.